Corinthians. Before we go to our Bibles together, you can already start turning to Exodus chapter 2 if you desire. That's where we'll be, is in Exodus chapter 2, the second half of it. Uh, but as I mentioned, we are just a few weeks away, only five now, Sundays from Easter, which is hard uh, to imagine. I had somebody ask me this week, you know, when, when you think of spring, what do you think of? And I think they were expecting a more profound answer than I gave, but I said, a Reese's peanut butter cup egg. Uh, that, like, when I saw those in the grocery store, man, I knew Easter was coming, spring was here. And I think part of that was maybe uh, we often, as a family, resisted sort of the commercialization of the Christian holidays, and so Christmas trees weren't a part of my upbringing, or Easter egg hunts, but somehow the Reese's peanut butter cup eggs, like, were okay, and I can remember having those, like, in my lunch bag at school, and they're really good. If you want to bring any, any of the next few weeks for me, I'll gladly receive them. Uh, but it was nice to just even imagine that spring uh, is on its way. Um, there's always those surprising snows. For me, having been raised here, I never actually take an ice scraper out of my car. I just put it in the trunk. But I don't think I ever actually fully take one out. Um, but one of the things that we thought to do this year for Easter, uh, the messages, what we'll do is we'll look at the death and resurrection of Jesus four weeks in a row, um, but first from the Gospel of Matthew, then from the Gospel of Mark, then from Luke, and then from John. And so in doing that, uh, we're going to just create a, a simple calendar that is, uh, sh would show you how if you would commit to reading about three to four chapters a day, you could read a gospel a week, and that's with a day off, because uh, we all need a day off. Uh, and I think uh, the way I've done it before is usually Sunday's the day off, but we all need a mulligan and a catch-up time, but if you just take three to four chapters of a commitment, you'd be able to read Matthew one week, Mark one week in the next. So as we had at the beginning of the year encouraged everybody who was willing to memorize Psalm 23, this is just another way of something that we could all do as a church family, those who are gathered, those who are still meeting at home, young and old could do together to commit to reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we anticipate Easter. We were also uh, announced this past week in our newsletter that we are, we have a golf outing on the calendar and that excites me too because there's a tea time that I have uh, in the future. I have no idea what the weather is going to be that day. Um, but Chad Kitzmiller, one of our members, uh, has offered to host a fundraiser for our expansion project at Westfield Country Club, where he's the head pro. And so if you don't like golf, that's okay. We really just want your money, uh, not your golf. Uh, and so we'll take that too. But it's a, a fun way to share money uh, in that. And it's, uh, I say that partially lightheartedly, we're really thankful that the kids have this space um, that has been completely remodeled. The church is continuing to be generous uh, towards the giving of that expansion. At our current pace of giving, uh, we believe within two years uh, we can have the expansion fully funded. Uh, we have the freedom to begin building this year. Uh, we just uh, would desire to have more funds raised in this still uncertain environment before we would break ground. Uh, but we have the freedom to break ground in all of our approvals of our permits uh, and our codes uh, to do so as the weather breaks. Um, but we would desire to have more funds raised for that, and so we'll try to think of various extra things that we can do uh, over time to invite people's generosity uh, toward that end. But we're thankful for the way that we were able to pivot and get the space that we already had fully redone and fully usable 
we actually need someone to go spill like the first cup of coffee back there or put the first bit of crayon on the wall so that we just realize it is a kid's space. It's, it's not meant to be kept perfect. We want it to be used, and we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to do that. But that particular fundraiser is a Monday, May 17th. Uh, and I find sports often a pretty easy way to invite people to something that maybe they would never come to church on a Sunday morning, but they might come uh, and play around a golf with you, uh, and you could invite them to that for a good cause. So that'll be Monday, May 17th, uh, if that's of interest to you. But now, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through the end. One day when Moses had gone up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Reol, he said, How is it that you come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the kings of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I was a little bit more lighthearted in the announcements because the message is a little bit more serious of the events that transpire uh, here. And so I've entitled the message Confronting Injustice. That We see that uh, actually throughout uh, what we have just read. But last week, Moses was a baby, miraculously saved, placed back into his mother's arms. And as much as we know, given an incredibly uh, blessed upbringing, that from having been uh, insecure and under the threat of harm to then being within Pharaoh's house and been given much provision uh, by education, by food, by clothing. And uh, it's always one of the temptations that when we simply want to go to the Bible to find something that reinforces what we think or hope to be true, we could go to the first 10 verses and see this pretty quick, like dramatic turnaround and say, see, everything, you know, God just turns things around quickly. Uh, and so one of the disciplines of reading through the scripture is to realize not every story ends with like a bow wrapped up at the end and not everything always turns for the better. Sometimes things turn for the worse. 
and it doesn't take very far into reading it that we encounter uh, the exact opposite happens. Moses goes from having been very safe, enjoying a very comfortable lifestyle, to now being very, very vulnerable uh, and very much at risk and a fugitive. And we say, wow, that's amazing. It reminds me, though, I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday, but I came home and I, I asked uh, how the day had gone and my oldest, Levi, was like, oh, it started off really good and then it went like this. But by the end, it came back up and it, it ended good. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't even, I still don't even know what made it go like this. But it, it felt like a truthful accounting of um, you know, rarely is a day all good, everything good, and also rarely is every part of it bad. There's this ebb and flow and this up and down. And last week, things had turned around so amazingly for the good for Moses. And now he's an adult. We don't know <clears throat> uh, all of what his childhood and upbringing would have included. But now as we encounter him, he's an adult. And he knows, even as an adult, that part of his story, that uh, though he has the privilege of being within Pharaoh's court, that it's not fully his people. His people are actually out there and they are working in the fields, and so he knows enough to say, I want to go and see what's going on. <clears throat> and what he sees is something that causes him to become so angry at the injustice that he's observing that a taskmaster, a slave master, is significantly harming and beating one of his own people that he looks around to see if anyone else is noticing and he takes it into his own hands to avenge this. And the word is actually the same word in verse 11 and verse 12 that what Moses saw the, uh, the Egyptian doing, beating, is what he did to him. So it gives you the sense that it wasn't that someone was just being you know, talked down to inappropriately or someone got a slap on the wrist. Like what Moses observed was violent. It was, it was brutal, and so much so that it caused this reaction out of him that he took things into his own hands, <clears throat> and he struck a man, and he killed him. And at the end of that day, as far as he knew, nobody knew. And the Bible doesn't give us a sense of his own heart or mind. Is he, at this point, nervous? Is he regretting what he did or not? But then the next day, he sees two of his own people fighting among themselves. He's just like, you guys get it enough, right? Other people do this to you. Why are you doing this to each other? Why are you fighting against each other? You need to be coming together, encouraging each other. And they reveal that they know what he's done. Like, who are, who are you? Or does someone make you judge? Are you going to do to us what you did to that person uh, yesterday? And then Moses realizes, uh-oh. What he knew was an act of passion that he thought maybe no one had seen has, is, has now become known. And here again, we don't get a sense of time frame, like how much longer was it before Pharaoh himself knew? But Pharaoh eventually finds out. And for Pharaoh, this is a crime worthy of a significant punishment. <clears throat> and that's part of the injustice that what Moses observed, as much as it tore up his heart, was actually not a crime. Because in the societies where slavery is permitted, slaves are considered property. And it is not illegal to mistreat your property. 
that's sort of what shocks Moses, but that's the reality of it, that he wasn't observing something that was illegal, though it was immoral. And he's seeing it, and it overwhelms him, but now what he did is illegal. (laughs) He has harmed someone and killed someone who would be viewed as a representative of the government. And so attacking someone like that would be like attacking and uh, going to war against the Pharaoh himself. And so what he's done is something that now requires punishment, and so he knows he's not safe, and he has to flee. Then he stops by a well, very, very far away, uh, and he wouldn't, we don't know how much time passes, you know, he didn't have a train to jump on or a plane to get on to get there quick, but uh, he gets pretty far away from there so that nobody would hear about this and potentially be able to get him in trouble for what he's done. And he stops at a well, which would have been a common gathering place in ancient times. <clears throat> like we might stop at a gas station uh, in a very ordinary day's activity. And he sees another injustice. There's seven daughters. They have flocks that they're caring for. And a group of other shepherds come and realize they don't have to wait in line behind these women to take their turn. They can just kick the women out of line, take their own turn. They're stronger, and so they can just insert themselves at the well and get whatever it is they want. And again, it's not illegal. There's no one else that would say, hey, guys, well, hold up, guys, you're not allowed to do that. What do you mean we're not allowed? This is what we're allowed to do. And so Moses sees that. And again, he's confronted by it. Here, not drawn out in uh, violence against all of those uh, shepherds, but still with the sense that simply because this is allowed doesn't mean it's right. And so he stands up against them and allows the women to have access to the well, himself draws the water out and helps feeds their flock. But it is uh, hard at times to confront injustice. We, uh, and I think only more now today, uh, partly because there are so many options available to us, we can sort of keep entertaining ourselves that we never take a long look at real problems that are going on. And that we can just move on from one thing to the next and not allow ourselves to see what's really going on. And to see not just individually what's happening to one person or not, but to see even larger than that, what, what is the system around this that's making this okay? But all of us, because we've been made in the image of God as a church, we've, uh, all of our different small groups have gone through a study recently on being made in God's image. And one of the realities of that is that God has given every one of us a conscience that bears the marking of his character, that we know right and wrong. We don't know it fully, but we do know enough that even when everybody else is saying something is okay, God has put it in our hearts to say, that can't be okay. It can't be okay to treat someone like that. It can't be okay uh, to disregard another person made in his image in that way. Now, we can suppress that, we can reject that, but we believe that every human being is made in God's image, both has that value 
of, of, of dignity and worth made in his image, but also has that conscience to discern and say, we know when something wicked and evil is going on. No matter who's trying to justify it or make it sound like it's right. And then we learn uh, that in seeing the hard reality or the hard truth about injustice, there's also the facing the lonely road of standing against it. In Egypt, uh, Mo Moses knows there's no protection for him. Uh, his willingness to, to stand against the injustice that he saw means he's a fugitive and he has to run. He's not presuming any previous relationships or connections are ultimately going to perfect, uh, protect him. And so he takes this very lonely journey uh, to a completely different land uh, without most of what had been familiar to him. And then it's also a lonely road when he stands up for the women at the well because their father is like totally shocked when they get home. One, shocked that they got home so early, uh, which... Uh, in our Saturday evening service, one of the comments, I think it was Heather Holsenbach that made it, but said, you know, just even that description of how surprised he is at how home, how early they got home makes you get this sense that they were probably mistreated regularly. Like, on a regular basis, they knew that they could go, but they didn't have control, and they'd have to wait, and that most days probably didn't go well for them. Because there's just this initial, like, what, what happened that you're home by two o'clock today? Sort of a dynamic. Uh, that they didn't have uh, the freedom to just pick uh, whatever their status was in line. And so he's so amazed that someone stood up for them and helped them that he wants to meet this person. Like, go, don't just receive that. Go get that person and bring them here so that I, as the father, can say thank you to the person who saw my daughters and rather than seeing them as a property they could disregard or as insignificant that they could just push to the side uh, could stand up and say this is an injustice being done to them and I'm going to stand up for them and here is a, a theme that is throughout scripture that standing up for righteousness often means standing against injustice standing up for righteousness often means standing against injustices that are done. But one of the temptations in uh, well-intentioned people, even sincere Christians, to not stand up against injustice is because how often it is a lonely road to do so. Like when you see someone really vulnerable and they're getting hurt, and you stand up for it, you expose yourself to become hurt just like they are. And that's a tension a lot of us face. We don't like seeing how someone's being treated, but in that very same disgust or uh, recognition that that's wrong, we don't want to be treated that way ourselves. <laughs> we don't want that whole system to come crashing down on us. And so if we say something maybe we'll get in trouble. If we argue against it, maybe we'll be similarly mistreated. And it is an unfortunate reality that many times standing against injustice invites people into a very lonely experience. 
where then their own character gets questioned. Why are you doing this? Why are you being difficult? Why are you being divisive? Why are you, uh, why can't you just go along with how everything is? And it causes many people to then grow weary or give up in standing against injustice. Uh, when rather than uh, being affirmed in that uh, challenge, like uh, for these seven daughters, their father's willingness to say, let me, let me show you how thankful I am for this. When people challenge your character and question your motives for standing up against it, make you feel like you're being the less faithful person because you're just trying to defend what's right. Uh, it makes it a hard, hard and lonely road. And we don't know exactly what the correlation between this journey of Moses's would have been and then eventually the journey uh, that the, he led the people through. But there is this sense, at least whatever it meant physically in similarity, emotionally and spiritually, Moses needs to walk through this wilderness and wrestle with all of this before he leads anybody else in the same way. Eventually, God's going to tell him to go back and get a whole group of people and come and have them get far away from Egypt. Moses doesn't even know that yet. And he just might be sitting there saying, why, why am I going through this? He probably has some regret of, why did I act the way that I did, that I had to be a fugitive? Um, and then now with the women at the well, why does it feel uh, again, like there's these uh, just broken realities in our world where people are mistreated, and it's a, a lonely road to walk. But there's something in it that God is doing in his own heart to prepare him for things he's going to call him to in the future. To lead an entire nation out of slavery. To come to a different Pharaoh, but rather than run from the Pharaoh, to actually go all the way up to the Pharaoh and say no more no more and God is using this experience to prepare him for that future calling and then where it ends we see that ultimately at the end of our chapter we're waiting for the action and the vindication of God uh, for Moses there is this new uh, home that's given uh, he's provided a wife he has a kid and we could think okay uh, that's good. This is just where now where the story is going to end, where uh, things will culminate. And it's not. It's a good thing that he finds a wife. It's a wonderful blessing that they have a child. And all of that is good, but we can just feel that there's this sense that something is unfinished. And this isn't going to be where it's going to end. And we don't know how quickly the story will move along. And so Moses is waiting. We're waiting as the listeners into this story. And our passage concludes, verse 23 and 24. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We have this sense already here that it's not going to be... Uh, that the people are set free because of Moses' earlier action and going after the Egyptian the way that he did and then having to flee as a fugitive. Even if we can empathize with sort of the, how he was overcome by anger and disgust at what he was observing, there's the sense that 
it's not going to be exactly that way. But ultimately what we want is God to intervene in a way that helps to set the whole nation free. And Moses has to learn what does that mean? To not ignore what's going on, but to also not all take it into our own hands and try to become God for other people, but rather to allow ourselves to be used by God and let him do the work. And he's, he's waiting for that. We believe it's coming. We believe that this isn't where God is going to keep them forever, that he's going to respond. And in this passage, it also, as it talks about their groanings coming up to God, it is a beautiful picture that, and this is reiterated in Romans chapter eight, for any of you ladies who then go through the workbook that Cindy's leading, that if God is for us, it talks about how the spirit can interpret the groanings of our hearts that are too deep for words. That the people of Israel are at this place where it, is just, it hurts so much and it's hurt so long that they're not even sure how to pray. They're just weary. They're just groaning. It's, it's crying out. And it says that God hears that. He's not limited by our words, that we have to like figure out the right way to pray. And if we just pray this one way, then, oh, okay, now he's going to say, you finally figured out the code word that I've been looking for to answer your prayer. That's not what it's like with him. There's not an abracadabra potion with God. He looks down and sees even our wordless groanings and cries. And he hears them. And he understands them. And he promises that he's going to act to end them. And waiting is having faith that he's going to do what he said he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is truthful about all of the injustices that we experience in this world, the, the sad and broken realities of them, um, that things that for us can overwhelm us and that we then want to ignore and move on from. Uh, we believe that you see clearly you don't run from it you don't ignore it um, and we admit that we uh, in our struggle against it don't always know what the right thing to do is or how to stand up against it but we believe as your children that you have called us to stand up for righteousness and stand against injustice knowing that we ourselves are guilty sinners that we are not perfect and that we need your grace to know how to do it uh, and, and yet even in our best of actions all of us are just creatures ultimately waiting on you to make the decisive action for you to vindicate your truth and we thank you for the promise that you will do that in your return and until then that you would help use us to invite as many other people to trust in you as someone who does see and care and know about their groanings, about the hurts that are too deep for words, and that they can find you uh, a savior and a comfort and a shield and a defender. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.